So good to be with you guys. Hey, Dom's been preaching for like three months straight, so I'm just like, I'm excited that he gets a break today. Um, a break. He's still got to lead worship, but <laughs> a break from preaching. Um, so good to be with you guys online this morning. Um, I just want to make mention of something. Usually we mention this at the end uh, of the sermon, but um, if for any reason at all this morning you're just like feeling like God is leading you to something or God's bringing conviction in your heart and you just need someone to process that with, there's a, a link, if you're on YouTube, there's a link uh, in the description. Uh, and then also if you're on our website, watching online on our website, there's a button right there that says connect with God. Um, if for any reason you're just feeling like God is like speaking to you or God's convicting you of anything at all, or if you just want to know who God is, maybe you, you're watching this and you're not yet a Christian, um, we would love to connect with you. So if you click that button, uh, you can go to a page and there's a couple different things uh, we can do. You can fill out just a regular old prayer request. You'll just write out your prayer request. We'll make sure that you get prayed for. Or if you want to, um, to pray with someone, you can actually uh, fill out some information and somebody from our prayer team will uh, contact uh, you to pray with you. Um, you know, just because we're meeting online doesn't mean that we are devoid of any sort of human connection, right? And that's why we have that is so that you can, uh, you can process things with another person. It's so good to do that. That's what we were made for. Uh, God designed us that way. Um, so I just want to make mention of that um, just so you guys know. Like Dom said, we are finally back in the book of Ephesians after a five-month month hiatus. Uh, not only was the last Sunday in our series, the last Sunday that I preached, but it was also the last Sunday that we were all together uh, under one roof uh, in this building that we are currently sitting in that is empty. Um, and because it's been so long and because uh, I'm assuming that some of you uh, who are watching online maybe were not with us uh, five months ago, I just want to... Uh, give us a thorough recap of where we have been so far in this book and in this series. So we are currently in part two um, of a three-part series that is focused on the kingdom of God. Part one uh, was called Kingdom Kids. Part two, which is the part that we are currently in, is called Kingdom Family. And then next year, we're gonna get to part three, which is Kingdom Come. And so I just wanna recap a few of the ideas that we've uh, discussed so far. So the first section of Ephesians, which is chapters uh, one through two, uh, it's really all about developing the Christian identity. Paul is pointing out and he's revealing these beautiful snapshots of what it means to be a Christian, specifically what it means to be a child of God, a kingdom kid, if you remember from the series. <clears throat> Paul says that as a child of God, you have been united with Christ. You are loved and chosen before the foundation of the world. You have been adopted as the beloved children children of God into the family of God. As a kingdom kid, you belong to Jesus. As a child of God, you are fully and completely forgiven of sin. You have been given wisdom and understanding. In Christ, you have a, uh, you've been given a wonderful eternal inheritance. And that inheritance is backed by the Holy Spirit, which is God's guarantee of our inheritance, as Paul says, in the first chapter of Ephesians. Paul writes that as children of God, we have been given confident hope that our soul has been given a purpose or a calling. Not only as, as children of God, not only have we been given an inheritance, but as a child of God, you actually are the inheritance of God, which is totally mind-blowingly crazy. As a child of God, you have been saved by grace. Not only that, but you have actually been raised with Christ and seated with him in the heavenly realms. 
As a child of God, you are an example of the wealth and the grace and the kindness of God. You, as a child of God, are God's masterpiece. You are his finest craftsmanship. God has made you into a new creation. Christian, you have been made brand new. And that's just the first one and a half chapters of Ephesians. And so midway through uh, chapter two, Paul kind of zooms out his lens a little bit. He's still talking about identity, but now he's focusing on our identity as the kingdom family of God, who we are as his people. He says that Jew and Gentile, the the insider and the outsider are now uh, one people under Christ, a new holy race of people. God has brought reconciliation and peace between peoples through the work on the cross. Those who were once the outsiders have been grafted into God's family and have citizenship in the kingdom of God. And together, Jew and Gentile, insider, outsider, uh, we make up the house of God, a holy temple that's built upon the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone. That inheritance uh, that Paul mentioned in chapter one is equally shared between all members of God's family. Paul writes that the kingdom family of God is a demonstration of his multifaceted wisdom, even to the angels in heaven. And Paul writes that that we as his family have been given bold and confident access to the presence of God together. And then in chapter four, Paul pivots from identity to instruction. We see this in Ephesians 4, chapter one. He says, therefore, which is that transitional statement, therefore, in light of everything that you are as a child of God, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling for you have been called by God. And that word that Paul uses for called is this Greek word kaleo. And it means to be called by name. So Paul is saying in chapter four, verse one, he's saying, literally saying, live a life worthy of the name that God has given you. Live into your identity. This verse is a very important bridge between our identity in Christ and how we live in response to that identity. Paul's argument is that an effective Christian life requires the balance and the harmony between these two things. What we do in and for the kingdom is always a response to who we are in the eyes of the king. Our passage this morning uh, deals with one aspect of how we respond to our identity in Christ. We're gonna be looking today at verse 19, but for context, I'm gonna read verses 18 through 21. And this morning I'll be uh, reading and teaching from the New Living Translation. The title of our sermon today is The Kingdom Family Choir. This is Paul writing to the church in Ephesus. He says, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music music to the Lord in your hearts. And give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and further submit to one another out of reverence for 
Christ. Church, this is God's holy word. Let's pray together this morning. Lord, I just want to recognize this morning that before any song ever came out of our mouths, you were singing over us. You were singing wildly over us. You were, your, your word says that you, you're dancing, twirling about, singing over us, Lord. And so I just want to recognize, Lord, as we approach this subject of worship this morning, that, um, that it's not because we need to do anything. It's not because we need to try harder. It's because we respond because the king of the universe is singing and dancing over us. I want to pray, Lord, this morning that you would open our eyes and our hearts and our minds and our ears to receive your heart for what it is to worship you through singing, Lord. And I pray, God, that through all of it, you would stir us up to participation in the wonderful song that is happening even in the heavens right now, Lord. Ask that the words of my mouth this morning and the meditations of my heart uh, would bring you great glory and that would edify your church today. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I want to give us just a couple of quick disclaimers before we jump in. So uh, like I said before, we're going to be uh, mostly dealing with the first half of verse 19, which is centered around the gathering of the church in musical worship. And I just want to make it clear that worship is not limited to the act of singing. There are many different ways that we can worship. Uh, But worship through singing, it does play a very important role in how we worship God. And I believe that this is what Paul is addressing in the text this morning. So that is what we are going to be talking about. Also, uh, I am aware that uh, maybe addressing the subject of corporate musical worship in our current uh, context might feel a little bit strange since we're currently not actually gathering corporately, at least in the way that we used to gather corporately. But this does not mean that we should not address the subject. Uh, our ability or our inability to gather together in one place doesn't actually limit our ability to sing together. It just looks a little bit different than what we're used to. In fact, uh, the church that Paul was writing to probably looked a lot more like our current church context than the one we've grown accustomed to, right? The Ephesian church, it wasn't some mega church with a giant sanctuary or lights or a booming sound system. It was people gathering in households and small groups under the threat of persecution from the Roman Empire. Real persecution. Like, their faith was illegal and they could be killed if they uh, were caught practicing what they believed. So just because our big church gatherings are on hold right now does not mean that these words don't apply. In fact, they actually might apply even more right now. So the last verse that we studied uh, in the book of Ephesians was uh, verse 18, which we read earlier, which was specifically focused on this idea of uh, drunkenness. Paul says, uh, do not become drunk with wine for that will ruin your life. Other translations use this word dissipation, which means uh, wastefulness. He's saying, uh, don't become drunk, which is dissipation, but instead be filled with the spirit. In other words, what Paul is saying is don't uh, waste your life on things that don't matter, but instead be filled with the spirit of the living God. Because the lesser things in life that we drink will ultimately end up drinking us 
leaving us empty. And Paul contrasts this idea of being, uh, of being drunk with uh, the idea of being filled with the Spirit. He says, instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit of God does not drink you up. The Holy Spirit fills you up. The Spirit does not dull your mind to the things of this world, but it awakens your mind to the things of the kingdom. And then we get to our verse today, which is uh, verse 19. And it's really important to note that there is, in fact, a comma at the end of verse 18. These are not uh, separate ideas that Paul is communicating. This is one fluid comprehensive statement that Paul is making in our text. He says, instead be filled with the Holy Spirit, comma, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music uh, to the Lord in your hearts. Paul is drawing an inextricable connection between spirit and song. There's a direct relationship exists between being filled with the Holy Spirit and the practice of of singing. <clears throat> and it's not just any kind of singing as we see in our text. It's this idea of singing together, singing to one another and singing with one another collectively as one. Other translations say to encourage one another through the singing of psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Encourage one another through melody, lyric, and rhythm. Paul is placing a great deal of significance on the practice of singing within the kingdom family of God. There is something about singing together that is vital to the life of the Christian and to the life of the church. And so this morning, I want to address the question, why do we sing? What is it about singing that is so essential to the Christian experience? And why is it so important that we sing together? And there are three things this morning that I would like to draw our attention to regarding singing. The first one is singing together in worship synchronizes our hearts to God and to one another. In 2013, uh, researchers in Sweden conducted a study uh, in which they measured the heart rates of a group of 15 singers as they performed a variety of choral works, including the popular hymn, Fairest Lord Jesus. And what they found was that as the members of the choir began to sing in unison, their pulses began to rise and fall at the same rate. So in other words, as they sang together, their physical heartbeats began to synchronize together. It's pretty crazy. But this synchronicity didn't just happen arbitrarily, right? It, it was the cadence of the music and the rhythm of the lyrics that required each member to inhale and exhale at the same intervals. Their heartbeats became synchronized together around the lyrics that they were singing. And in the same way that our physical hearts actually become synchronized by singing together, so do our spiritual hearts become synchronized when we worship together. There's so many things uh, in, our, in our life, right? Culture, media, news cycles, relationships, work, even good things in our lives that can kind of produce a spiritual arrhythmia in our souls. We find ourselves out of sync with God. But when we as the people of God come together in musical worship that is created for God, centered around God and sung to God, there is a beautiful, supernatural recalibration 
of our hearts with God and with one another. The word calibration means to bring something into conformity with a set standard. To bring something into conformity with a set standard. Um, This plays out in every orchestra. Uh, In a symphony orchestra, every instrument in the ensemble is tuned or calibrated to a specific note. It's actually the note that is played, uh, it's an A note that is played on the oboe and every other instrument in the symphony uh, tunes their instruments to that A note because the weather, their circumstances, the environment that the instruments are in cause them to just be out of tune just a little bit, but they all bring themselves together. All these instruments come together around this one particular note. And this is certainly true of what worship does in our hearts. When we worship, the heartbeat of our soul begins to sync up with the heartbeat of God. Our desires become realigned with his desires. Our motivations, what drives us becomes realigned with his will. Our perspective and our worldview begins to align with the way that God sees things. Even the tempo of our lives, which is so often frenetic and busy and chaotic, begins to synchronize with the tempo of the kingdom, which is often much different than the pace of our lives, if we're being honest. Have you ever been uh, really stressed out in life? Maybe you have a, a huge work project coming up, or maybe you're just like struggling to get your kids dressed and seated on the couch to watch the live stream. Um, And then worship starts. And all of a sudden your soul just goes, you can just feel it. It's like your soul slows down. That's your soul being recalibrated to the steadfast rhythm of the kingdom of God. Or maybe uh, during a season of of disappointment uh, or even discouragement, you suddenly felt this like overwhelming, unexpected sense of joy rise up during a time of musical worship. That is your soul being tuned to the harmonies and the frequency of the kingdom of God. As fallen human beings that are living in a fallen world, we are, our souls are in regular, constant need of spiritual recalibration. And while musical worship is not the only way to to recalibrate our hearts, right? We can do that in a lot of different ways. We can do that through reading our Bible. We can do that through prayer. We can even do that through fellowship with one another. Uh, Even though it's not the only way, music is often the most effective way. Why is that? Because music actually bypasses the logical part of your brain. The marriage of melody and lyric and rhythm actually circumvents the part of your brain that is responsible for analytical processing. And it goes straight to the limbic circuits of your brain that are responsible for governing our emotions. In other words, uh, music can access our emotional being more quickly and effectively than other methods or mediums. A couple years ago, uh, my wife and I uh, went to see John Williams in concert with a couple of really close friends of ours. Uh, And if you don't know who John Williams is, just watch Star Wars, Indiana Jones, Jurassic Park, uh, basically any uh, major blockbuster film that's been produced in the past 40 years, John Williams has had some sort of hand in the score of that movie. Uh, And the MC for this particular concert was none other than Steven Spielberg, who happened to direct most of the films that John Williams has scored. And he was setting up this uh, section of the concert where they were going to show a clip from Indiana Jones without any music 
just sound effects, and then they would play the same clip again and the symphony orchestra would play the score of the film. And there was this stark emotional contrast between the scene with the music and the scene without the music. And at the end of the demonstration, Spielberg said this. It was so good that I pulled out my phone and wrote it down because I knew I'd need it at some point. <clears throat> he said, music directs the traffic of our emotions. And I love this picture of what music does because it's so true. Our emotions are like vehicles. They're very powerful vehicles that can move in all kinds of different directions. And like vehicles, our emotions need direction. We need roads and highways and signals to direct our feelings and our desires to the proper place. And music is very good at this. If you don't believe me, listen to the words of Reformation theologist Martin Luther. He said that we can mention only one point which experience confirms, namely, that next to the word of God, music deserves the highest praise. She is mistress and governess of those human emotions, which as masters govern men or more often overwhelm them. For whether you want to comfort the sad, terrify the happy, to encourage the despairing, to humble the proud, or to calm the passionate, or to appease those full of hate, what more effective means than music could you find? Musical worship, this idea that Paul is mentioning of song, songs and hymns and spiritual songs are so important to the Christian experience because it helps guide and direct our emotional traffic to the place that it needs to go, which is the throne of grace. I want to actually demonstrate this for you this morning. Um, I want to demonstrate how musical worship can, can kind of move our emotions, right? So uh, music can, can move our hearts from a place of, of bitterness, let's say, from a place of bitterness to tenderness as we sing of the sacrifice that was made for us on the cross. So when I, when I sing a, a song like, um, Now my debt is paid, it is paid in full by the precious blood then my Jesus spilled now the curse of sin has no hold on me whom the sun sets free oh it's free indeed when I Sing that lyric when it's coupled with melody and rhythm and this wonderful truth that I'm declaring, it moves my heart to a place of like, oh my gosh, God, you did this for me. You paid my debt in full. I was wretched in sin and you took my place. Just in that, that 10 seconds, 15 seconds of singing, my heart is moved from a place of maybe I'm bitter or upset about something that's going on in my life to being like, wow, God, I am so thankful for what you've done for me. Let me give you another example. Uh, let's say my heart is apathetic. I'm just not feeling it. I'm just feeling lazy. And I'm just not really seeing like the kingdom of God. And then I sing a song like Spirit Breakout. King Jesus, you're the name we're lifting high. Your glory shaking up the earth and skies. Revival, we want to see your kingdom. kingdom. That makes me want to 
see my neighborhood get saved. That makes me want to see like my entire city get saved. That makes me want to see like missionaries go out to the nations. That makes me want to see revival happen right here, right now. Even if I was like in a place where I'm like, oh, I don't know. I'm not really sure. Uh, God, what are you doing? Like that opens my eyes to see that God is moving and it helps my heart to partner with that. Another example, let's say I'm, I'm struggling with doubt and unbelief and I sing a, a lyric uh, like this. And I will rest in your promises. My confidence always oh, your faithfulness. Just in that little lyric, my heart is like, wow, God, my hope, my, my trust, it's not in my situation. It's not in like the things that I can't see. It's not in my circumstance. My hope is in the faithfulness of God. Even in two lines of a song, that can happen in musical worship. That is how worship directs our emotions. To be clear, it's not the music itself that has the power to change the spiritual nature of the heart. But music can powerfully lead our hearts to the presence of the one who can. Music can't inherently transform our hearts, right? Only the presence of God can do that. But in the context of musical worship, music can transport our hearts into the presence of God. Now, when we worship God through music, an emotional experience is not the goal. Musical worship uh, is actually the practice of bringing our emotions and our desires, what the Bible calls the heart, into alignment with and submission to the truth of God's character and nature. For example, let's say I'm dealing with an impossible financial situation and I'm experiencing significant fear, anxiety, doubt about whether or not God is going to show up and provide. On On the screen is the lyric, for I know you are faithful, my God. In order for me to sing that lyric honestly, it requires that those emotions, that fear, doubt, anxiety be brought under the authority of Jesus for me to be able to open my mouth and sing, for I know that you are faithful, my God. I have to deal with those emotions. And what's crazy is that kind of emotional processing actually happens almost subconsciously. My emotions are being dealt with without me even having to like think about it or rationalize it. And before I know it, my heart is being moved to the truth. This is the way that musical worship recalibrates the heart of the worshiper. The second thing that I want to look at this morning is that singing together strengthens and cultivates unity among us as a family. There was a different study that was uh, conducted by a team at the Keck Graduate Institute that measured the neurology of those who participate in group singing. And what they discovered is that those who sang together actually experienced a significant rise in the hormone oxytocin. Uh, Oxytocin is known in the scientific community as the love hormone because oxytocin is released in the body when we experience love when we experience deep uh, connection and social bonding with other people. It's the same physiological reaction that you would get if you were like snuggling with your husband or your wife or your dog, maybe. Um, That's what happens when we sing together. When we sing together, we actually experience deep connection with one another. And this is the way that God designed us. And I know that might sound really uh, scientific talk about oxytocin, but you actually know how this works. Think about the last sporting event that you went to when you could still go to sporting events. 
Um, what happens before every sporting event? We sing the national anthem, or at least we used to sing it. Nowadays, we kind of just hire professionals and pop singers and artists to do the singing part, and then most of us just kind of sway along with the melody. But there was actually a time when the, the crowd gathered was actually responsible for carrying the tune of the Star Spangled Banner. The reason that national anthems like ours exist is to stir up unity among those who sing it. That's why we sing national anthems in uh, arenas and stadia and the Super Bowl, right? It's a reminder of our national identity. And for that brief moment, that couple minutes that we sing, we feel strangely connected to the thousands of other people singing with us, even though we might all, not all believe the same things or agree on everything. National anthems remind us of our shared citizenship, right? Uh, that we as individuals, even in our many differences, belong to something much greater than ourselves, that we are a part of a greater and grander story. And if the star-spangled banner can stir up unity among the citizens of America, how much more can anthems of worship and praise stir up unity among the citizens of heaven? How much more does worship reveal to us that we belong to something or to someone greater than ourselves? How much more does worship remind us that the story of our lives is a part of a much bigger story that God is writing on the earth? And how much more does worship unite us around the hope that each of us has found in the person of Jesus Christ? When we fix our hearts on him through worship, it reminds us in a powerful way that we are united by something that is infinitely stronger than any finite thing that could ever divide us. Many of us uh, watching are probably familiar with the communion story, the story of the Last Supper. But I want to look at it uh, the way that Mark's gospel describes it. Mark writes that while they were eating, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take it, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. Truly, I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And when they had sung a hymn, it's so easy to miss. It's almost like a passing note in the story, but it's so important. The very last thing that Jesus did with his disciples in the upper room was sing together. Why? Well, the disciples were in need of unification, right? The disciples just previously, before the Last Supper, they were bickering among themselves about who was the greatest, which is something that the disciples seemed to always do. And then right before the Passover meal, if you remember the story, Jesus says, one of you will betray me. And I can only imagine the kind of skepticism that befell the disciples in that moment, right? Like Peter's looking at John, he's like, is it you? And John's like, no, it's not me. And they're just kind of going back and forth like, who is it? Who's going to betray Jesus? This was a moment of deep confusion and mistrust and disunity among the disciples. And so when Jesus wants to codify the unity of his disciples, when he wanted to seal the Last Supper, he did it through musical worship because singing has the power to bring unity among the family of God. We see this incredible snapshot of what ultimate unity in worship looks like in the Apostle John's revelation of Jesus Christ. He says, after, I, after this I looked 
And behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever, amen. When God brings every tribe, every tongue, every nation together in unity, what does it look like? looks like musical worship. The third thing that I want to look at this morning is that singing together is a supernatural resonance of God's glory. Everything that God commands in scripture, every single commandment that God gives us in his word is to this end, including this command to sing together. It is for the purpose of bringing glory to God. I want us to look again at this guitar for a moment. This instrument has been carefully created and crafted to produce an array of resonant notes. This guitar has complex curves and caverns that allow sound to reverberate out into the world in a way that is sonically beautiful and pleasing to any and all within earshot. And the sound of this instrument, this guitar, is produced by strings. And each of these strings has been uh, designed and created to be tuned and tensioned in order to resonate at a specific frequency. And not only that, but these strings were actually made to resonate in conjunction with other strings in order to produce a beautiful, complex sound, like this wonderful G chord. These strings are all resonating together to make that wonderful sound. And that sound is reverberating inside the caverns of this guitar to produce uh, what is a beautiful sound pleasing to the ear. That is God's church. This is our church. This is God's uh, beautiful and well-crafted instrument. And Christian, you are a string on that instrument. Your life has been tuned and tensioned by the triumphs and tragedies of your life, your sorrows, your joys, your achievements, your failures, all of it. Your soul resonates at a frequency that is completely unique because no one on earth has lived your life. No one on earth has experienced the exact same things that you have experienced in the same way that you have experienced them. And so when you open your mouth to sing, even though you might be singing the same words and the same notes as the person next to you, there's a spiritual melody that comes out that cannot be duplicated by anyone else. And when the church comes together in worship, whether it's in a sanctuary or a backyard or at the beach or in a living room, God shows up among his people and in his love and his grace and his power, he strums his instrument. 
And we, his people, his beautiful strengths who are filled with the Holy Spirit, we resonate with praise and thanksgiving, as it says in verse 20 of our text. We resonate with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs that give praise and honor and glory to God the Father. Because the sound that an instrument makes testifies to the skill and the mastery of its maker and the musician who plays it. And so too does our worship testify to the wonder of the master musician of the universe. This is why God's people have been making melody together for thousands of years to testify before God and to one another of the goodness of his glory, to proclaim to one another and to our city and to the nations of the power and love and the majesty of the everlasting God. Because the most powerful worship instrument that exists, it's not a guitar, it's not a keyboard, it's not a drum set, it's not even the voice of the worship leader The most powerful worship instrument that exists is the voice of God's people resonating in response to who he is and what he has done. This is why we sing and this is why we do it together. I wanna end this morning uh, by sharing the story of the most powerful worship experience that I've ever had in my life. And it wasn't in a, a packed sanctuary with lights and a booming sound system. In fact, there were no musical instruments involved at all. Several years ago, myself and six other interns from Reality had the opportunity to preach at a place called the Bible Tabernacle in Saugus. And uh, it was a transitional living facility uh, for men who had recently been released from incarceration. And so for six weeks in a row, each intern would prepare a sermon on the exact same uh, verse in the book of Galatians. And then on the drive down to Saugus, we would draw straws. And whoever got the short straw had to preach. Talk about nerve wracking. Um, But it wasn't the preaching that I remember most from that experience. It was the worship. Each Thursday night before the sermon, one person in the congregation, one of these these men that were uh, a part of the Bible tabernacle, uh, they would get up in front of the group and uh, they just have a hymnal with them, an old hymnal. And the rest of the men would just call out page numbers and song titles. And they sang. And I've never felt the presence of God like I did in that room. It wasn't because it was loud. It wasn't because they sang on pitch or in perfect rhythm. It was powerful because I could hear the resonance of their lives. I could hear the full weight of their testimony in every single word that came out of their mouths. I could feel the pain and the heartache and the struggle and the redemption and the freedom and the joy in every syllable of those songs. When God's people resonate like that, It is an undeniable, supernatural resonance of the glory of God. And even though you might not carry a story as heavy as those men, you do have a story. God has invited you into this. This is what you were created to do. God has put his very own breath in your lungs. God has put spiritual power in your vocal cords to testify of his glory. 
God made the resonant cavities inside of your head to reverberate like the halls of a temple. And God put a mouth on you to shape that sound into a melodious testimony of who he is and what he's done and what he wants to do. Christian, you do have a voice and it is the only one like yours. So don't hold it back. You are a part of the choir. Let your voice be heard, whether you're at church, at the beach, on the streets, or with a small group of, of people in your, in your backyard. Let the voice of God's people be heard all around. Amen. Lord, I want to ask this morning, I want to boldly ask that you would open our mouths today. For those of us who have maybe felt silent when it comes to musical worship, I just want to ask that you would, you would boldly open our mouths today. God, would you draw us in to participation in this thing of musical worship, not because we, there's anything to be earned by it, but because you've been so good to us. God, I pray that your love would draw each and every person watching right now into a place of participation in musical worship this morning. And God, I wanna even be so bold this morning as to ask that you would heal people's voices. People who have maybe just felt like I can't sing or I can't like hear things. I pray that you would open up people's minds right now, that you would open up people's mouths right now to be able to like sing to you. You created us to be this way, Lord. So I just pray for healing over people's voices, healing over minds to be able to, to hear melodies and tones and rhythms, all of it, Lord. I pray that you would heal us. But most of all, God, I ask that you would bring us into participation, that you would stir up in us a desire to join in the sound that is happening right now in the heavens. Lord, there is singing happening right now in the heavens. Help us to see that so that we can join in with that today. Guys, we have an opportunity right now to put this into practice during the second set of worship. And I know that we're not all together in one place this morning and we can't uh, hear the uni unified voice of the church like we used to when we were gathered here in this room. But we are all together. It just takes a little bit of faith to see it and hear it. For the next 20 minutes, a sound of praise is going to rise up all across Ventura County and California and wherever anyone is watching. Anthems of hope and light and life are going to be heard in our neighborhoods if we open our mouths and sing. It can be so easy to be a spectator in worship, especially when you're sitting at home watching worship happen on a TV screen, right? Culture has conditions our, our brains. When I see something on a screen, I don't need to engage with it. I'm just watching. That's not the way this works. That's not the way musical worship works. Last week, Dom shared that there are no spectators in the kingdom of God. And this most certainly includes worship. Christian, you have been called to something greater. You have been called to joyful participation in the family choir of the kingdom. So let your voice be a part of one voice to the praise, glory, and honor of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Let's worship him today. <laughs> 